Hello, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. We believe all women lawyers deserve to be wealthy women lawyers. Our mission is to provide thought-provoking, powerful, and practical information to help you in creating your own sustainable, wealth-generating law firm without overwork or overwhelm so you can live your best life. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm so excited for you to meet our guest today. So let's get started. Charlotte Massey is the founder of Massey Law Group in St. Petersburg, Florida. Massey Law Group offers commercial litigation, corporate transaction, real estate, and construction law services. We're excited to have Charlotte here today with us on the Wealthy Woman Lawyer podcast to discuss her unique law firm business model, one that incentivizes attorneys not with billable hours, but for creative solutions and rapid resolution of client disputes. So Charlotte, welcome. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thank you for having me here, Davina. It is really an honor and a pleasure. Oh, terrific. So why don't we start out with giving everybody a little bit of background so they can get to know you, kind of your journey to becoming an attorney. Were you, were you that child that knew at an early age that you wanted to be an attorney or did something uh, influence you or happen in your life that caused you to leave, go down that path? Uh, well, that's funny. No, I, I never had a burning desire to be an attorney, um, but I was working in mortgage lending up until 2004, and I saw a lot of what was going on around me, and I can't say I'm, I'm prescient enough to have seen the 2008-2009 the crash coming, but I knew I didn't want to be there. Um, I knew that I was very uncomfortable with some of the things I was seeing, Right. Um, certainly not engaging in. Um, and I looked at my options and I decided it would be a really great time to go to law school and possibly give back by becoming a public defender, which, as you know, didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So tell us what. So you went to you went to law school. Uh, you went to what, Florida State. Yes, Florida State. Florida State. Yeah, I'm a Tallahassee girl. I did not go to Florida State, but I, I grew up in Tallahassee. So after you became an attorney, what did you do? Did you go right in to start your own practice or did you work someplace else? Uh, no, I I didn't really have a plan after law school, um, except that I knew I wanted to live in St. Pete. I had been here a few times and I just knew that this was the city for me. So I rented a, a house sight unseen and moved to St. Pete and started volunteering, um, you know, at legal aid and looking for a job. And I ended up finding a insurance defense work at a small boutique firm. And I stayed there for 11 years until going out on my own. Wow. Wow. So a couple of questions there. One is, what is it that you love about St. Pete? I can tell you what I probably love about it, but I'd love to hear what you love about it. Uh, you know, it just really has a, a wonderful, creative energy. It's a wonderful, progressive city. It just feels like home. I, I come from the Panhandle, from Panama City, mm-hmm. and the landscape is very similar here in St. Pete to my hometown, or at least my hometown before Hurricane Michael, but the politics are night and day, and so St. Pete is really just feels like home to me. Right, right. It's so funny that you said uh, Panama City. That's when I, the first, the formative years of my life from six months to seven years old, my family and I lived in Panama City Beach. And so that was always, once you grow up living on the beach, there's always that calling to sort of get back to that beach town too, you know, especially Gulf Coast beaches. 
Absolutely. I mean, the yeah, the Gulf of Mexico, the white sand, and then also, you know, kind of that um, old Florida outdoors feel. Like there's so many wonderful parks um, right near my home that, wow. that have those 400-year-old live oaks and, you know, the Spanish moss mixed in with the palm trees. And it just, it, it feels good. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. As a as a native Floridian, I understand that. So we'll 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 get back and talk about business. Um, what made you decide? And you were working for this insurance defense firm for eleven years, and then what made you decide it was time to go out on your own? Well, I had an interesting journey within the firm. I'm sure many folks can share stories like that. But you know, they were exclusively insurance, defense, healthcare work, and they hired. Uh, an attorney, a male attorney who managed to accrue a fairly large book of business um, in the commercial litigation, real estate litigation arena. And the first day he started, I walked into his office, stuck out my hand. I said, I'm Starlet and I'm here to help you in any way possible. He was very happy to accept any and all help. And he really didn't have an affinity for doing any drafting or going to any hearings or talking to any client. So there was, he created the void and I stepped in. And when he was terminated a few years later, I kept a large part of his business um, and stayed at the firm. And then the years go on and I, I grew, you know, that book of business at the firm. I think we almost hit, I'd say like 1.5 million Mm -hmm. under my control at that firm. And I felt like the shareholders, I was a, a non-equity partner with a carefully negotiated profit sharing agreement. And I felt like we just couldn't stop playing games about my profit sharing agreements Mm -hmm. implementation. And I got tired of the games. Uh, I lawyered up and we reached a deal and I started my own firm. Wow. Wow. I love that. Um, Lawyering up is a good thing that for lawyers should do because a lot of times lawyers don't lawyer up. (laughs) <laughs> and they don't they don't assert yeah. their rights you know what i mean it's really it's always kind of fascinating to me uh how lawyers are the least likely to actually draft contracts and take care of their business you know we're so busy taking care of others all the times so i had i had a wonderful female attorney who was very familiar with my own story um in a personal sense and she was a master at, at handling the room and in the end, they were, well, they said they were happy to see me leave with, you know, all of my employees, my contract attorneys, all of my clients and all of my cases. Wow. Wow. That's wonderful. What a, what an auspicious start. So before we get into what that was like, I want to talk with you about what it was that attracted you to this commercial litigation and corporate transaction real estate and construction law world, because it tends to be sort of male dominated, that area of practice. And I imagine that's not an easy hill to climb for that reason. So what was it like for you to kind of enter into this field? Well, and and for each of those specific areas, I have a very specific reason why, you know, real estate law, I'd done mortgage lending for, for a number of years. Corporate law, I was on the moot court team at Florida State, um, and I had a wonderful professor, Barbara Banoff, really took me under her wing and gave me a really hard time, and I think gave me a, a huge hand up by being so tough on me. So I was very familiar with with corporate law and securities law uh, through her and 
construction law, funnily enough, uh, my dad's a GC. <laughs> oh, yeah. Done, I, I know that work because I've done most of that work, you know, helping him out on different, you know, real estate, you know, that he has or different jobs uh, throughout throughout my life. And I just, I love construction. I love building. I love, I love real estate. I love, you know, the passive income it brings. This is, this is fun for me. Absolutely right. Um, all of those tend to be male dominated and I just don't take anything personally. It's, it's really kind of fun when you know, and I think we're talking about the same thing here. It's, I'd say there's the gender discrimination and harassment issues are certainly alive and well in my practice areas, but it doesn't, it doesn't trouble me because, you know, I tend to use that as an opportunity to get someone to tell me exactly what they're going to do to my client. Um, you know, if you get a, a man who's not used to being spoken to uh, by a female attorney and, you know, a construction law case, when they're done, you know, berating you, you have a good idea of where they're going. So it's a good wow. way to find out the strategy. Right, right. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, it, in, in construction law in particular, I think that's it's really unusual, you know, to find female attorneys in that area. You might have more involved in you know, business law, real estate, maybe, but maybe not at that level with corporate transactions and then with construction. Construction law is, is its own unique thing. And I am very fortunate to have a highly skilled construction lawyer, uh, a male attorney, my partner, Baby Lewis, and we work those cases together. Mm-hmm. And we often kind of good cop, bad cop, you know, opposing counsel or, you know, different mm-hmm. to be adversaries. So um, it's a good, it's a good strategy for us. Great. All right. So that's a good segue into going back to what you uh, wanted to address earlier. And that is... So you left and started your own firm and you took cases with you. You had clients, you had vendor, you had uh, employees, you had vendors, clients. And what was that like for you? So give us an idea of what did you do? How did you immediately hire people by building? Did you rent? Did you, what was that like for you? What, what year was this? Um, so I, I actually formed the firm as, as a, PA in 2017, um, but we didn't open until July 1st, 2018. But more importantly, I'd been running books and projections and spreadsheets and had a business plan, you know, that I'd been updating, honestly, for, for years. I think I had projections going back to 2014. Once I realized what I had with my book of business, you know, and I, I didn't feel like I was getting sufficient data um, from the small firm from management, I wanted my own set of books and I wanted to know what my projections were. And I was pretty pleased by about the third year of doing it. And this is, you know, back in 2016, I I would accurately projected my growth um, Mm -hmm. for several years in a row. And, you know, the, the better I got at it and the better the plan was shaping up, the more I knew I was ready. So it was right. much, it was very, it was very calculated and there was a lot of planning that went into it. I think I, I think I will firm into existence for five years before it ever opened. <laughs> so what I love about that is how data driven you are, because that's something that I'm always talking with my law firm owner clients about is doing more of tracking metrics and making data-based decisions. Um, and so it's very interesting to me that you were doing that while you were working with another firm, you were tracking your own data on your own book of business, and it revealed to you what you could be doing if you were, if it were your firm. Right. 
And, and, you know, the only person I had to hire um, when I opened was a firm administrator. I knew where my, my weaknesses were, which would be HR um, Mm -hmm. and all that goes with it. And I wanted somebody who could also manage, you know, the books, Mm -hmm. but because of the the deal I'd made with the firm, I'm grateful for it. um, I was interviewing potential firm administrators, you know, for about, I think a year while I was there before I opened, because I had to have that person in place for at least four months, according to my plan, um, before we could officially open the firm and transfer all of the the files and employees and cases. It was a, it was a big move. It was complicated. There were, I think for two or three years of my life, all I did was plan and strategize. How do you move something this large, you know, that's really just me doing it and make it its own entity. It was, it was complicated, but luckily I had the experience in in corporate law um, and everything else. It helps. So how, how big, how big of a book of business were we talking? I mean, how many cases, how many employees? When I left, I had five paralegals, my new firm administrator, um, I think one full-time attorney and six contract attorneys. And that's another thing that has always given me flexibility Mm -hmm. uh, is I have utilized contract attorneys instead of having attorneys be full-time. And there's there's a lot of different reasons that, that works. Mm -hmm. Um, for attorneys, but it really worked well for me. And, you know, people can come and go or take as much work as they want, but I knew them all very well personally um, in some cases. And I knew that they were brilliant and driven. And so they could work remotely, um, you know, and, and do good work. So this is, and you, you may not realize how special this is and how unusual it is what you, what you're talking about that you did, because I often um, talk with attorneys who are bootstrapping. I mean, they're, they're, they're coming, they're starting from scratch. It's just them and they have to grow to a certain point And then they add, then they start, I have to deal with the fear of hiring somebody and, you know, then they go to the next level with it. And a firm administrator is way down the line. People are just trying to think of like a paralegal who might sort of be the office manager. Um, and you, we know in big law firms, it's common to have firm administrators. So it's really interesting that right out of the gate, you said, I have to have a firm administrator. And this probably was because you were working for a larger firm that had a firm administrator and you saw the value that they bring. Well, I knew that I absolutely would be miserable if I had to do pretty much anything that is the firm administrator's job. And, you know, I could certainly make more money if I had less staff, but I'm happy and I have balance and those tasks are in the right hands. And Mm -hmm. and HR is a big deal. You know, when you have this many people, you want them to be happy, well compensated, Mm -hmm. loyal driven um, and you don't want to violate any employment laws. So you really need an expert in that role. And I, Mm -hmm. I also view, you know, every single member of the firm as, as a marketing person as well, Mm -hmm. Um, which probably goes back to my, you know, high pressure sales days and mortgage lending. Um, Every role is a sales role. Mm -hmm. And, and I wanted to focus more on, on sales and rainmaking and doing exactly what I wanted to do, you know, from a litigation or transactional perspective, then I I just don't want to, to deal with those things. Right. No, I think, I think it's terrific. And I think that's, 
it's very smart. And obviously it was something you, you knew you had to do because, it, because you weren't starting from scratch and adding people one or two at a time. You had a lot of people that you were sort of moving with you. And so it's understandable that you need some help with that, with administrative, you know, an administrator to help you do that. And, and firm administrators, when your firm is of a certain size, are just uh, invaluable. So you wanted to focus on marketing, rainmaking. So first, I love that you have a sales organization, that everybody in your organization understands um, the role that getting clients, keeping clients happy, you know, plays in the firm. It's a business. And with marketing, when you're dealing with the practice areas that you have, your marketing is not like it would be if you had a, cons- a consumer-driven firm like a family law practice or wills and estates. It's more business. You're dealing with business entities and business people. So marketing is different. You can't just go on you know, Facebook and expect you're going to get your clients there. Right. So I assume you have, I know you and the business plan, I assume you had a good marketing plan going go down the gate too. <laughs> you want to hear it? <laughs> yes, I do. I'm very much. <laughs> um, oh, and just to, to clear up the record, we do have an estate planning attorney. So we do also provide those services. One of my contract attorneys um, has been doing estate planning for years and we include that so that we truly are a full service firm for all of our business owner clients. My marketing plan is really more about developing organic relationships. And Mm -hmm. I have always been involved with nonprofits. um, And I I love the work. I love volunteering. I love organizing. I love, you know, the community involvement. And so I have focused my marketing dollars and my, my time to really getting closely involved with a few organizations. And it just expands your network. Um, and, and you, you know, over the course of years, you know, people will remember you're not only, you know, on the board of directors of this or that, but you are a lawyer and when they need one, you'll be the person that they call. They trust Mm -hmm. you. It's not developing a a trusting, authentic relationship. Yeah. So this is, this is very much uh, a big law model. When I was uh, in my first career, which was in marketing, I worked for a large law firm and I was the marketing manager at that firm. And they had a very significant marketing budget. And the majority of the budget was spent buying tables at philanthropic events and being involved, you know, because there are different attorneys were on boards of different uh, civic organizations, charitable organizations, um, professional organizations. And so the firm supported them and that's how they conducted their marketing. So is that very much like what you're talking about? Actually, no, it's not. It's not quite that. Um, For example, probably the biggest um, sponsorship I did, definitely the biggest um, last year in February 2020. I, you know, I, you and I've talked about this separately, but I'm you know, very committed to diversity and inclusion. Uh, This is a a cornerstone of of what the firm is based on. And I'm very interested in spending money to promote diversity and inclusion and, you know, bias elimination events. And to the extent that's possible, I think in our community, I think it works best through the arts. And so I had been, um, and of course this ties back to St. Pete and my love of St. Pete. I was Mm. shocked several years ago to learn that the green benches in St. Pete 
um, have a have a racist history. Um, you know, a lot of companies are named Green Bench, this or that, and I'm not here to comment on that. But you know, we we've whitewashed this history <laughs> to say that you know, back in the Jim Crow era and after. You know, if a black person were to sit on a green bench in Central Avenue, they would be removed by the police. Wow. And when I, and I, I went around talking to everybody about it because I'm like, I feel like we should make this known. We really need to have some kind of, you know, event where we can have healing and a discussion about it. And a lot of people, you know, just said, we can't, we can't do that. Nobody wants to talk about it. And uh, lo and behold, I was introduced to Katie Dietz over at Florida Craft Art. And I told her my idea, which wasn't really an idea so much as a you know mission. Right. She was amazing. She said, you know what? We'll build a whole program around it. She said, I even know somebody with the green bench. And we put together an artistic program. Um, she wrote a play with um, a black playwright. And they had a dance, um, poetry, and uh, music. Um, by a very diverse group of performers. And so I sponsored that event to pay the performers. And I was very involved in in the planning of it. And then we later took that that video of the performance and turned it into a CLE for PFAL. And I think that's probably the thing in 2020 that I'm most proud of. So I'm much more, it's not buying a table at, at a luncheon, although I do think there's value in that for those who can afford it. Um, it's It's more personal than that. Right, right. So you're really connecting your your personal, your core values, your personal values to your law for business. And, and to how we, how we give and, yeah. and how, who we're making relationships with. Right, right. So you're selective in who you're making relationships with. You're, that's intentional. Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. And I, I try to be intentional about who my clients are. I mean, an attorney-client relationship is a relationship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I really want to, and, you know, for the most part do, I think almost 99%, you know, my clients have become, you know, friends and I truly do know what, you know, their ultimate goals and greatest fears are. And I can help them all the more because I have that information and that understanding of who they are. And and mm-hmm. we do have a lot, you know, in common as far as, as vision, a lot of times they're business owners too, um, in many cases. Yeah, I really, what I really love about your story is the way that you are really integrated. Your business is integrated and you're integrated in the community and in trying to better the community. So not just, it's not a transactional situation, relationship with clients. It's really about looking at everything as a whole. So your clients are part of the community and you guys, and you're trying to, to better the community as well as, you know, make a living, make a good living, right? Right. So that is one of the aspects of your firm that's unique. Another is that I would love it if you would talk with us about your business model and your decision around your business model, because the areas of practice that you've mentioned, I know that, you know, the billable hour might be something that's very popular, especially with bigger law firms. I know billable hours are rule the day, but you've chosen a different kind of business model. Can you show us what that is and what the reason behind it is? Sure. Um, And and just, you know, to be candid for litigation, you know, that always is hourly. I don't haven't come up with anything creative on on how to change that. But for all of our contract drafting and transactional work to the extent humanly possible, 
I will come up with a flat fee when I can and I'll try to bundle services. Um, and it just makes sense for people, you know, where the majority of those clients are small business owners like me, you know, what we need from a cash flow uh, perspective is predictability and it helps so much when you can, you know, have a legal budget and then you say, okay, well, I know Starlet says that I need these 10 things to get my business where I really want it, but let's do, you know, a, B, and C in year one, you know, and so forth. And you, you have a plan and you, you know, you triage what's most important and then you can account for it in your cash flow as a, as a business owner. So I really, and that has not been a smooth process. That has not been an easy process. I may not even get it right <laughs> half of the wow. time. Um, but I think that it's really valuable for clients. It's very difficult to run a business when, you know, you can order a contract from an attorney and all of a sudden something that they thought maybe would be a thousand dollars is now three thousand dollars because it just got more complicated. And we all know billing billable hours, that's how it goes. Mm -hmm. But at some point, you know, I think the right thing to do for clients is just say, okay, we're gonna do it for two and call it a day. Yeah. So that also I imagine helps you develop long-term relationships. So you might get you might have a higher value client in the long run by taking that approach. I think so. I think so. And again, it's about, it's about trust. You know, I want them to trust that I have their business and their, you know, personal goals in mind um, and that I'll do the right thing, you know, to the extent I can. So you've made some changes in the last year in your business. Can you tell us about those? Well, <laughs> um, COVID made some changes too. Um, we, we went completely remote. Mm -hmm. I had, um, I closed on a commercial building February 28th of last year. Oh, wow. And, <laughs> and it was a complete gut job. It had to be, I mean, we removed everything ceilings flooring every wall you know it had to be completely gutted and redone there were minorish structural issues that had to be remediated so it was a big build out and wow. my initial plan february 28th and prior was that our sublease in st pete was up i think august and i thought that i could get the build out done soon enough for us to move into it and then covid and i just wasn't comfortable proceeding with the build out. I wanted to know, you know, what what our cash flow situation was going to look like, what the what working in an office was going to look like, um, you know, what what the virus was going to do. And so we ended up having some close calls as far as transmission in my St. Pete office. And I said, you know what, I can't deal with this. I'm shutting it down. So we closed down the St. Pete and our our office in Broward and said, everybody go home. You know, we fortunately have the technology to do so, you know, and, and securely because that's been another driving factor um, in how I run the firm. And so we shut it down and I didn't start the build out until October, but we are almost ready to move into the new building, uh, I think probably by mid-March. Wow. So I bet there's that you're, is that exciting? <laughs> it's so exciting. And I've loved the build out process and, you know, interacting with the, the GC and the architect and, you know, developing plans and negotiating the contract 
because I somehow. That's your wheelhouse. That's your wheelhouse, right? I love it. Uh, yeah, it sounds, it does sound fun. It sounds really fun. So that's exciting. So you guys are moving into new space. What is the the size of your firm now? Have you kind of stayed steady or have you had, you know, you, has there been some sort of up and down or, you know, what have you done as far as the size of your firm? Did you make changes from when you first started to, to now? Oh, there have been a number of changes. I mean, change is inevitable. Um, at the moment, I have three paralegals and an assistant and still, of course, the same wonderful firm administrator, uh, two full-time attorneys in addition to myself, and two contract attorneys who stay pretty darn busy. Mm-hmm. So that's still a good size. That's still a good number of people, a good size group. And you guys are all going to be moving into the building. Will you still have some... What do you think about uh, continuing to work remotely some? I know there are some firms that are loving it and they're going to continue. And then there are some that are kind of saying, no way, we can't wait to get back in the office. And then there are others who are sort of doing a hybrid, a mix of it. What, what, do, you, what do you think on the other side of this? And you know, that's a, a great question. And I don't have a definitive answer. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how I feel, but I, I am tired of working in the, you know, front spare bedroom and having the giant copier and the giant firm safe in here. So I think it's time to move those out and at least have a really decorated office and conference room because I've had way too many meetings on my back porch. Um, It's not an ideal, Uh, but we did you know, it's, it's gone fairly smoothly. We have, um, from the very beginning, we had a, you know, 9.50 morning call and a 2.30 afternoon Zoom and everybody attends. Um, so that really kept us connected, but I'm, I'm ready to have an office space. Um, and I think, I think a lot of things will go, go more smoothly, but there are, you know, I have one paralegal who lives a little further away and she's going to stay remote and that's absolutely fine. I, I, I've never cared when or where people do the work just that it's it's done right yeah what do you think your secret is to hiring well hiring good people and having people stay um because i think that's a big challenge for a lot of law firm owners as they're growing their practices is you know how do i find really good people and how do i incentivize them to just stick around and stay with the firm well i think there are leadership skills that are not intuitive and that kind of training is invaluable. I think it takes a lot of, of self-reflection and how you communicate with people and, you know, really trying to intuit and then also kind of factually based on data, understand what, what makes people tick because you can't give everybody the same kind of feedback or constructive criticism or even oral support or emotional support. Everybody's different. And, you know, it's very personal, um, I think, to each person, how you how you lead them. Um, and, and it's a skill set. And if people want to be good leaders, they I would recommend studying leadership. Mm-hmm. How do you inspire? How do you how do you garner loyalty? It, it's not it's not automatic. It's not a given. You have to work for it. Right. Such great advice. And I'm assuming that. Part of your secret weapon in making good hires has been that firm administrator. <laughs> um, yes, I won't say his name unless somebody tries to steal him. He's amazing. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to give out the deep. <laughs> He's absolutely amazing. You have a super secret weapon. <laughs> 
I have a few secret weapons. I think everybody on my team is actually a secret weapon. Um, wonderful. But he he has a gift for reading people, um, and you know, and even dealing with me. And he's he's get, helped me grow a lot too from that mm-hmm. perspective. Mm-hmm. How did you guy. find him? I'm curious. Well, because <laughs> you know, you said I, it was a process. It took a while. Well, I had to think about it. Right? I'm like, okay. So somebody who is amazing and exactly what I need isn't going to already be in Tampa or St. Pete unless the company, and I didn't want a law firm administrator. I wanted somebody with no experience with a law firm because I didn't want to just reinvent the same old law firm. You know, I wanted to do something different. So I wanted somebody who came from a different area, but I thought they either have to be moving here for a personal reason or their company has to have just like closed. Otherwise, no one will ever let them leave. They have to be that good. So I targeted a nationwide search and I flew in people from <laughs> a couple different cities and met with them and they just weren't right. Um, and it took him about eight months to find me and it, I just knew right away, but I didn't think I could ever get him to join me because I couldn't you know, pay what he was used to. But it was just, it was, it was kismet. He, you know, he bought in, he actually interviewed my people. He didn't believe that I could be seriously as, you know, how I am. And he thought I was putting on for him. And he's like, you know, I'd like to spend some time talking to your team during his interview. (laughs) Right. Sure. How about it? And he realized we really were that, you know, sincere about our kumbayanas and he joined us yeah yeah that's fantastic so i love that you really took your time to find the right person and you also did a nationwide search i i oftentimes i hear when people are looking to hire they wind up with uh so and so needs a job and oh i have a job and i think they'll be a good fit because somebody knows them or they, and, and I think that's the worst way to go about hiring because I, I, I think, gosh, you know, the, the pool of potential people out there is so big. Why wouldn't you open it up and try to find, because somebody may seem okay. They may seem good. And then the next person that walks in the door, you're like, Oh, that's the one. That's why <laughs> you never would have met them. Had you not, taking the time to go through such an extensive search. Well, and to be fair, Davina, I have been hiring and firing since, um, I mean, there were, I took a couple of years off, a few years off in law school when I first started as an associate at the, mm-hmm. the boutique firm, but I had been hiring and firing, you know, for about five years prior to going to law school. So I had some business experience and knew enough about what I didn't know and that I had to be very careful um, mm-hmm. before I got anywhere near opening my own firm. Mm-hmm. So you you had you did have some HR experience, <laughs> having hired and fired, and that and that's something that takes you know not only do you have to educate you know learn the skills and everything, but some of that you learn just through the doing of it. I think uh, that's fair. I mean, it, you know, a lot of it is life experience. Yeah, yeah, we underestimate that sometimes, and the only way to get it is to take those risks and step out and say, "I'm going to try it." You know. What do you think your biggest challenge has been uh, in starting and growing your your firm? I mean, I, I'm assuming you're going to say COVID is one, <laughs> but 
What oh, no. By the time we got to COVID, I'm like, whatever. It's just another challenge. Yeah. <laughs> Be fine. <laughs> You'd already had so many different things. <laughs> like, I was old hat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I think accepting that the role of being a business owner means you're constantly getting surprised and ambushed and all these, you know, horrible, scary things are happening. But at some point, I just had to stop reacting. It's, mm-hmm. it's like you can get yourself sick stressing over it, or you can just address it the best you can and move on to the next thing and ha- have faith that everything is going to be fine. That is wow. the only, only approach that, that ultimately worked for me. You know, by the time um, we got through the first couple of years, which were so stressful, and then through COVID and then we're doing the build out and my GC calls me and he's like, did you see that video I sent you? Are you sitting down? And I just laughed. I'm like, that's interesting. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Who cares at this point? It's just, it's just another thing that you will deal with. I would imagine you probably had some nights when you were lying in bed with your eyes open, just my going a mile a minute because taking the responsibility of moving all these people and knowing that they're now your responsibility to make sure that they have work and a paycheck and all that. I had, year, I had years of nights <laughs> sitting awake, strategizing and planning and thinking through every possible challenge. I don't do that anymore. I sleep, I sleep well now. Um, yeah, it, it was also the planning in advance. I, you know, I didn't sleep well <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do think that you have to, when you're starting your own business, no matter what approach you take, how you're doing it, there you and then it's on you and you do have those uh, but then you get over time you get sort of it's like an old coat you know you sort of get used to wearing it and don't really think about it as much anymore um, because because you do experience challenges and changes and then you realize you're, you're still okay you still come out on the other side you know it's it's not life-threatening for the most part right um, right. unless, I, unless you actually let it be because right. <laughs> you yeah. get so, so overwhelmed with stress and that, I mean, I've been there, but you're right. I mean, you, you, you and your company survive some, some big hits and some huge challenges. And then after a while you're like, you know, anything could happen and maybe nothing looks the same. And I, you know, like who would have ever thought we would be working from home for almost a year or, you know, that my contract attorney pool would have shrunk you know, so much, but it's okay. It's fine. You know, I still have a law firm. We're doing, I think, better work than ever. And the people were, were happy. I think for the most part, I can say that everybody is very happy in their role and, and feels satisfaction, you know, from the work they do. So what, what more could I want? And, you know, so we're working from home for a year, you know, so, so whatever next, um, you know, big hit comes, it is what it is. Right. I think that it's, there's been a, obviously a real downside and, you know, COVID has been horrible, especially for some people who've been experienced it personally or lost a loved one. Um, yes. From not a, to minimize. Right. Uh, from a business standpoint, though, I do think there's been a, an eye opening among the business community that maybe things don't have to be the way that we've traditionally always thought. So, I think it's really challenged a lot of people to 
expand their vision and their capacity for doing things different ways. You've seen that with maybe some of your clients as well. If you want to to survive, you have to you have to adapt, um, and that's true in COVID, and you know with a lot of other other challenges. But this has been global, and it's been big, and it's been terrible for a lot of people. Feel very grateful, you know, yeah. to be happily working from home, you yeah. know, after nearly a year of this. So before we wrap up, why can you tell me like what piece of advice you would have for? other women law firm owners kind of coming, who may be coming up on the journey behind you and wanting to grow and create a successful law firm business. I'm I'm sure others have said this, but I think that that this is for me, the key is, is love what you do. Find a practice area that matters to you, that you want to learn about in your free time that, you know, has nuances that are all of interest to you and then become, you know, as much of an expert as you can in that field. And when you love what you do and you feel confident in the doing of it, you know, your clients, the, the clients gravitate toward that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. That is terrific advice. Tell us how we can connect with you if we want to, how we can find you on the internet. Well, um, we are on most of the social media platforms. It's Massey Law Group PA. Um, the website is www.masseylawgrouppa.com. Um, all of our contact information is there. Great. So we'll, we'll have that link in the show notes too for people. It's M-A-S-S-E-Y. Massey Law Group, and we'll have the link there. So thanks so much for being here today, Starlet. I really enjoyed getting to know you, and I'm excited you came on the podcast today. It's really uh, my pleasure and an honor, Davina. I love the work you're doing here, and thank you for having me as a guest. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. If you have, we invite you to leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. The more five-star reviews we have, the more women law firm owners will be able to positively impact. Your thoughts and opinions are so important to us. If you are a woman law firm owner who wants to scale your law firm to a million dollars or more in gross annual revenue and do it in a way that's sustainable and feels good to you, then we invite you to join us in the Wealthy Woman Lawyer League. The League is a community of highly intelligent, goal-oriented, and driven women law firm owners who are excited to support one another on their journeys to becoming wealthy women lawyers. We'll be sharing so much in the League in the coming year, including the exclusive million-dollar law firm framework that until now, I've only shared with my private one-to-one clients. For more information and to join us, go now to www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash league. That's www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash league. League is spelled L-E-A-G-U-E. We look forward to seeing you soon in the league.